You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Leaf Sky, the podcast, episode number four. Jim Taddy with you. Coming up in the broadcast today, we'll go over the Leafs opening game against the Oilers. It's the first of four in just over a week, hardly scintillating. The Oilers take the opener by a score of 3-1, and some stuff comes out of that that we'll analyze and go over in the next few minutes. Our guest today is Dave McCarthy, host of the Sunday Brunch and Ice Cap on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio and also contributor to NHL.com. We have the Yes Guy, No Guy Awards all lined up. And, of course, new to the podcast anyway is a lightning round of Yes Guy, No Guy with Mr. McCarthy. So we'll get into all that. But first, the return we've all been waiting for is finally here. One of the sport's most notorious icons stepping into the octagon this Saturday. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the USC, is giving you a free shot at huge cash prizes for this weekend's fight. DraftKings is offering new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with the first deposit. If you haven't tried yet, Fantasy MMA is an easy way to play. Just pick six fighters, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for advances, takedowns, and more. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Plus, don't forget about the football playoffs where DraftKings has even more money up for grabs this weekend. Big stuff happening. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, and you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the DraftKings app now. Use the promo code THPN to get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the weekend. That's the promo code THPN to get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for further details. Okay, so now let's get into the Leafs plate. And uh, this game was, well, it was an oil painting. I mean, let's be honest here. There's four goals in the game. One was an own goal. One was a, a goal off a bad angle shot that I guess you have to credit Austin Matthews for taking the shot. There was a power play goal and an empty netter. I mean, this has this game has some of the best offensive talent in the league, and it turned into a grinder special. Not exactly fun to watch, but effective. And especially if you're the winning coach, you would love this. I'm sure Sheldon Keefe had some analysis to do, but Dave Tippett said, it's almost funny to me how everybody talked all summer about Toronto and Edmonton have to defend better, and then Toronto and Edmonton actually defend well, and now they think it's a bad game. It just baffles me sometimes hearing what's going on. That is the Dave Tippett clip and his quote. Uh, I didn't think it was a bad game, just difficult to watch and not very exciting. So if that's your definition of bad, that's what that game was. You had the best offensive talent on the ice, and even the announcers were saying, well, they don't want this to turn into a 7-6 game. Oh, 3-1 is better, where there's only one legitimate goal, and it happens on a power play. That's my take. Of course, I could be wrong, but if you're a hockey fan, regardless of whether you're for the Oilers or Leafs, that game was not exciting, and maybe it's overly cautious because they're going to play three more times in the next week and a half. We'll see. What comes out of that game is not good news for the Leafs. Joe Thornton got a weird, awkward hit into the boards in the third period. It wasn't a hard hit. It was just awkward. And so he's out with the upper body injury. And according to Coach Keefe, without any specific analysis or diagnosis, 
He says Joe is going to miss some time. Same applies to Nick Robertson, who got a knee injury on Saturday against Ottawa. He is out for some time and has been placed on the long-term injury report. So he is uh, out for a long time and I uh, don't know exactly when he comes back, but obviously he had to be LTIR'd to create some cap space. Uh, Austin Matthews did not skate Thursday. Well, actually, he did. He tried to skate and then left, said he wasn't feeling well. So I don't know exactly his status for game time on Friday against the Oilers. You would assume he would play, but, you know, we are in a pandemic. So you don't want to err on the side of, uh, you know, pushing things. Don't know exactly what his ailment was. All we know is he wasn't feeling well. So where does that leave the lines? Well, we had Brooks centering Marner and VC, and it's totally expected Austin Matthews would be back for Friday's game. If not, uh, shuffle the deck there. Second line was Tavares between Hyman and Nylander, so Hyman moves up. The third line was Kerfoot between Simmons and Mikheyev, so Simmons moves up. That doesn't leave much left of the fourth line. It has Spezza still on it, Engvall and Barabanov on the left side, so that's a work in progress, and we would expect to see that in the game against the Oilers because they're just going to run out of bodies. There is a slight change in the blue line. Riley and Brody, Muzzin and Hall. Then at practice on Thursday, Sandine and Bogosian, also Lettinen and Dermott. So that's where we are. A 3-1 Edmonton win in game one of four in the next short while. Of course, they play each other nine times over the course of the regular season. Now I'm going to cue my producer, Mike, to give us some dramatic music, please. Nice little drum beat here. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, drivers and passengers, earbuds with wires or without. Time now for Yes Guy, No Guy. The Yes Guy Award goes to Austin Matthews, and he had a very industrious line in his first game against the Edmonton Oilers. As I look at it, six shots on goal, another two that were either blocked or missed. He had six hits, 14 and seven in the faceoff dot. And the goal, I mean, you, you know, you, you soft pedal it because it was a short side goal that shouldn't have gone in, but. He did take the opportunity to just rifle one at the net, and it found its way in, so can't discount his goal. It wasn't a work of art, but it was effective at the time. So Austin Matthews, winner of the S-Guy Award, and, you know, we did this last week. The boba boo moment goes to Jimmy VC. Jimmy VC in this game, scored on himself. It was an own goal that he was, I mean, it was like a bus stop in, in front of Freddie Anderson in the first period, and, and uh, so VC banks a, a clearing pass off the skate, of Jake Muzzin, and it goes in, and that's an Edmonton goal, of course. So VC has that embarrassing moment, as he did in this first game against Montreal, where he got caught in the too many men, and then later on scored. So in this game, just to complete the bubba baboo equation, he scores on himself, and then ends up playing with Matthews and Marner because Thornton goes out. So I mean, that's a, a pretty drastic change of status in the course of one game. Uh, the other guy that I want to make note of and give a yes guy to is uh, Mitch Marner, who was a workhorse in game one. 26 minutes and 16 seconds. Nobody, no skater, that is, played more than Mitch Marner in that game. The no guy award goes to, yeah, you got it, the game itself, 3-1. Hardly a classic. You wanted to see, I mean, the neutral zone was uh, a little claustrophobic. You wanted to see some skating, some puck handling. I mean, you know, you've got Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid. You'd like to see them play. If this was the NBA, sorry to offend you, if this was the NBA, stars play in the NBA, but in the NHL, they get checked and controlled. So you make your choice there. Obviously, we're talking to Leaf fans, so you are hockey fans first, but just saying, not every sport is like this. That's hockey's downfall, in my opinion. Defensive, able to close things off almost too much whereas other sports celebrate their talent and watch it perform and are entertained. Now, obviously, people aren't in the stands, but you are watching on TV, so 
If it's television, it has to be entertaining, or you may not be as concerned as you would have been. That's my thought. Okay, let's bring in our guest now, Dave McCarthy, the host of the Sunday Brunch and Ice Cap on Sirius XM NHL Radio and NHL.com. Okay, Dave, I mean, with a compressed schedule and in a pandemic, people are going to get sick, people are going to get hurt. You hope it's it's not severe in either case, but the Leafs, like a lot of teams in the NHL, are going through their uh, issues now. We don't know exactly what Austin Matthews' issue would be, but we hope it's nothing serious. And for Thornton, it was a precarious, wasn't a hard hit. It was an awkward reception, I guess, is the way to describe that. So that's up in the air, too, but they've got a motor on here, and they, they hope to have Austin Matthews Friday, but we don't know that. But we know that Thornton definitely is out for a bit. Yeah, that's uh, what we learned right after the game on Wednesday when it comes to Joe Thornton. They're still looking into exactly what the issue is. Uh, Sheldon Keefe said he's going to need to go for more tests. But it, I agree with you. It was a weird situation where the hit in and of itself, you wouldn't really raise an eyebrow at it. But I think it was the way... His arm got caught as he was somewhat off balance. And you could see right away that there was an element of uh, discomfort there. And then he went right to the bench, sat down there briefly, and then made his way immediately to the locker room and then never came back. So um, when you hear Sheldon say that it's not going to be a day-to-day thing and that he's going to miss some time, um, and, and with the nature of, of the discomfort that Joe looked to be under at the time, uh, to me, that suggests some sort of, you know, wrist, whether it's uh, broken or sprained. We're, you know, looking at minimum, I would say, two, three weeks. I'm not an orthopedic surgeon, but uh, it didn't look like something that would be um, sort of by the beginning of next week, put it that way. And that would be uh, unfortunate for a number of reasons. One, uh, because I thought Joe was fitting in pretty well on that line. Uh, two, for him himself, he's come over, he wants to make an impact, four games, he gets hurt. Uh, and then three, Sheldon Keith is going to have to rejuggle his lineup now and um, probably end up moving Hyman back up to that line. What does that do to the third line that was starting to find some level of uh, consistency in terms of taking on some heavier matchups to allow uh, Keith to deploy the Tavares line in more offensive situations? So Thornton's absence is going to cause a ripple effect throughout that lineup that uh, will be felt immediately and that the team will have to find a way to deal with. Yeah, and you know, it's uh, again, you don't wish any kind of uh, ill will towards anybody, but you know that, as I said off the top, with a compressed schedule and a pandemic, there's going to be losses in terms of, of bodies, in terms of being able to play, and that's where they are. Uh, they did look at VC with uh, with Matthews and Marner, and I know Hyman was there in the Wednesday game, and, and as you said, would likely return there. Um, either way, I, I think they had planned for that. That was uh, these are these are not looks that they're they're trying to figure out. They sort of know what they are, right? Well, yeah. I mean, the good thing is that Hyman has had uh, experience with both uh, Matthews Marner and on a line with John Tavares a couple of years ago. So you know that there's some level of fit there. And I think he'll be uh, a good fill-in, whichever line they decide uh, to use. I mean, to me, it would make sense to keep the VC Tavares Nylander unit together and then just plunk Hyman down on the, the Matthews Marner unit. Uh, and give it a couple games and see what what you've got out of it before you need to make any more drastic changes. Uh, but like I said, the the issue is going to be what does it do to that third line, uh, and who are they going to put alongside Kerfoot and Mikheyev 
and whomever they put there, whether it's a guy like Joey Anderson, uh, who, who may be getting a look, whether it's a guy like Pierre Engvall at some point, though, I tell you, he really seems to have fallen out of uh, favor with the, uh, the head coach, even dating back to the blue and white game. Um, will they be able to use that line in the same type of situations as they had been through the first uh, few games of this season? I'm not immediately sure that that answer is yes which is to suggest that Tavares' uh, assignment is going to change to an extent. And will they be able to use him in the same level of um, offensive situations now moving forward? I don't know if that's going to be the, uh, the answer uh, right off the top. And then, like I said, that'll uh, affect how Sheldon Keefe deploys his lineup moving forward. Well, and problematic for the Leafs because of that win over Winnipeg on, on Monday. That was, the, that was the full team effort. That was the full look. Yeah. Finally, finally, they got there, and no sooner do they get there than they start to have injury and, and illness problems and have to shuffle the lineup, and it's, it's almost like uh, throwing a deck of cards up in the air again. Well, it is. It is. And, I mean, the, the elephant in the room is, is Austin Matthews. Um, to hear on Thursday that he came out of the game on Wednesday against the Oilers feeling – uh, not great, as Sheldon put it, and that he wasn't able to practice and that they'd have a further update in the morning. You know, you, you hope it doesn't sound necessarily like a long-term thing, but you never know. I mean, it's pretty vague based on what we heard on, on, on Thursday. And if Matthews is out and Tavares, or uh, I should say Thornton is out, uh, man, all of a sudden the lineup doesn't look nearly as strong up front as it did when both those two guys are, are in the lineup. So... Uh, that would that would be a uh, an Armageddon type situation with how uh, the lineup uh, comes to fruition. You hope it's not serious on Matthews, uh, but one way or another, um, it's going to fall on Sheldon Keefe now to find a way to get the most out of his lineup. Uh, certainly without Thornton and potentially without Matthews for a period of time moving forward. Well, and that's why they have the taxi squad. I mean, this is everybody knew that this could happen. Uh, I think that you know when we looked at the first collection of games. Everybody was celebrating the fact that the Leafs finally uh, seemed to have learned how to play a, a tight game, and, and they looked really good against the Jets. But, you know, opportunity uh, turned the other way in the Edmonton game. And I just before we get into the, the Edmonton series, uh, let's go to Sandy and Bogosian skating on Thursday together. Is that a possibility for Friday or in the future? Well, I think they'd like to try to find a way to get Rasmus Sandin some minutes. Um for a couple of reasons. One, because I think they, they like him, uh, and I think he deserves a bit of a look. And two, uh, I don't think Sheldon Keefe is overly thrilled with what he's been seeing out of Travis Dermott through the first uh, four games or so of the season, um, just by no other indication than his ice time, which has been you know 10 minutes or under uh, to this point. And that's even a reduction from what he was playing uh, a year ago. Now, I know they addressed seven defensemen in the last couple games, and they, uh, they, they wanted to give Miko Lettinen uh, a look, but um, you know, I, I do not feel as though Travis Dermott has put himself in a tremendous position. Uh, it, it does seem like he's lacking the confidence of the coaching staff right now, and um, I think really what this indicates is between Dermott and Lettinen and now potentially Rasmus Sandin, uh, that they're they're essentially holding an open audition uh, for that that sixth spot right now, and and who wants it? You know, is it going to be Dermot who plays himself back into the role that he held for the last year and a half or two? Um, is it going to be Letton who is not 
he's a rookie in the National Hockey League, but he's not a rookie in pro hockey, right? He's 27 years of age. So he's not a young guy by any stretch. And then is it a, a guy like Rasmus Sandin, who's a first-round pick, who I think the, the organization is still relatively uh, high on? What it signals to me is that it's a, it's a competition between those three guys right now. Well, and this is, this is an old problem that I never really liked about the Leafs with the young defensemen, and with all due respect to the three of them. It takes a number of years, and I think most people would tell you 400 games mm-hmm. for a defenseman to, to finally get comfortable and, and, and be you know aware of all situations and start to develop uh, you know to a, to a next level. These guys are learning the game, and it doesn't really suit the rest of the roster because the, the core up front and Morgan Riley have been around for a while, and, and it's up to them to take the next step. I, I look at this, and again, it, it's not a slam on any of the players, but just as a situation, it's a liability for me. Well, yeah. I mean, that was one of the things that Randy Carlisle always used to say, that, you know, you need to give a, a young defenseman three or four hundred games before you, you get a sense of what they're all about. And, you know, I know a lot of people rolled their eyes and said three, four hundred games. Like, that's, that's four, four or five years of hockey. Um, but but generally speaking, unless you're an elite level defenseman that can be dropped in, like he, it took Morgan Riley uh, three years before he really found his footing, right? And then even under yeah. even under Mike Babcock that first year, uh, he really made sure that he insulated Riley and and yeah. didn't put him like he didn't play the power play, he didn't do a lot of penalty killing. It was just strictly worry about five on five. And I will say, with with uh, the Leafs and Morgan Riley, I think they've handled him pretty well because there's been a really nice build uh, of of his career since he broke into the league. Um, and it, it's seemingly been an upward trajectory. Last year was a bit of a down year, but he battled through injuries and all that. And you know, off the bat this year, he seems like he's right back to where he was maybe a couple of years ago. So I think they've handled him really well. But remember, when when Riley broke in. Um, they had the opportunity to show patience with Riley because they were not in a win-now type of situation, right? They weren't very good, yeah. They weren't very good, so they had nothing but patience with a guy like Morgan Riley. And even in the first year or the second year under Babcock in the 16-17 season, they weren't really expecting to make the playoffs that year, but they surprised themselves, and they did. Um, and, and that was a good thing, but, um, it, it still was a scenario where they felt comfortable in, in, in sheltering his minutes and, and, and protecting him so that he wasn't in a situation where he was biting off more than he could chew. When you're in a win now situation, you don't really have that type of time to be able to show patience too much. The thing is though, what they're asking uh, whomever this might be on the third pair, whether it be Dermot, whether it be Lekkinen, whether it be uh, Lettinen, I should say, or whether it be Sandin, so they're not asking him to play top-line minutes like they were asking Morgan Riley. Um, they're asking him to play 12 to 15 um, reliable minutes. Right. That's what they want out of that spot. Um, so it's not as if the assignment is a daunting one. Um, if you can't play 12 to 15 reliable minutes against third and fourth lines in the national league um in your you know in 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 Dermot's case in his what third year now uh Lekkinen as a 27 year old I keep saying Lekkinen Lettinen as a 27 year old um and Sandine I mean he's been around a year and a half two years now if you can't play 12 to 15 consistent reliable minutes in the national league 
maybe you're not a National League defenseman. I don't know. Maybe that's too harsh to say, but they're not. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're not you're not uh, uh, torpedoing the players here. It, uh, to me, it, it's it, it's what the team has decided to do. Um, and and for me, the third pairing, generally speaking, if you go to a, a Stanley Cup winning team, you're going to look at the third and fourth lines, and you're going to look at the the third pairing on the blue line, and that's the difference because everything else should cancel out. That that's a veteran five and six are veteran the Stanley Cup winning team, in my opinion. And and so what you're mm-hmm. doing here really is, and again, all due respect to the players. You're spending an inordinate amount of time and energy to develop a third pair defenseman. I, I don't get that. Yeah. Um, no, you, you're, you're right about that. I mean, I, I agree with what you say about when you look at the, the Stanley Cup contenders, the Stanley Cup champions, um, those teams, the difference usually gets made in the reliability of the bottoms of their lineup. But reliability, reliability, they don't carry those teams either. You still need your, your, your top two lines and your top defensive pairing uh, to be among the best. You need them leading the way. Like Tampa Bay last year, it was Point, it was Kucherov, and it was Hedman, it was McDonough uh, leading the way, right? Yeah. Um, but what they had was reliability down their lineup, that they could turn to them for 12 to 15 minutes and know that um, we can count on you, that yeah. you're not going to hurt us uh, and maybe you chip in with a goal here or there, like a Blake Coleman did, um, you know, or an Anthony Sorelli uh, for Tampa last year up front, uh, or count on a guy like Zach Bogosian, like they did in Tampa last year for, for 12 to 15 reliable minutes. They didn't win the cup because, because Zach Bogosian went out of his mind, but they won the cup because they knew they could put him out there for 12, 15 minutes and rely on him. And that's what I think that's what the Leafs are looking for out of, uh, one of those three guys, whether it be Dermot, Sandine, or, or Lettinen, um, that's, that's what they need, reliability. So the task is not huge. Question is, can, can any of those three guys meet it? Um, and right now, I, I don't know if Sheldon Keefe is – well, I, I do know. He has not arrived at a decision yet because I don't think he's been thrilled with what he's seen on, on uh, certainly Dermot's part – uh, Lettinen is two games into the uh, into the into his career. I thought he was he was okay against the Oilers on Wednesday, and we've really yet to see from Sandine this year. So I think we'll see over the next five to ten games. I think they'll they'll give all three of those guys a legit opportunity, and then whomever is the best, I think is going to get the chance to run with it. Yeah, and I just to me that's um, almost I don't want to say wasted energy, but I don't think it's an efficient use of energy and time just because it's it's almost it's not quite the lowest spot on the roster, but but it, it's low and and it's it's caused to me it causes a problem just because you have three guys trying to become one, and if you if you had a veteran and I know there's money considerations and all that I just I don't I, I don't think it suits the, the thing that I'm going to say is I don't think it suits the rest of the roster and where the rest of the roster is. No, it doesn't. It doesn't because ideally you'd like to bring Dermot and Sandine along during a time in your your group's development where it was like when they brought Riley in, when they had nothing but patience. So I guess the 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 response then would be, um, if if that's the way you're going to think, well, well then what do you do with those guys? Do you do you move them immediately? I don't know. Like Sandine is a guy that I think has potential to be a top four defenseman. Uh, question is, is it like this year or next, or is it still well down the road? Um, but it would be would be a tough ask for me 
to, to move a guy like Rasmus Sandin um, for what he may become, because you could end up being, you could end up looking really stupid, right, Jim? If you move a guy like Sandin, oh, yeah. he goes somewhere yeah. else, takes on 20 wow. minutes, plays power play, and, and is off to the races. I, I, you, you know what the, I know, but unless, unless you win a cup. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is possible. Come on. But then the, you have to ask the question yourself uh, with what you see out of this roster right now, do you think they are a, a cup contender uh, think, this I year? Think, I think they'd be closer to one if that blue line was airtight. Mm-hmm. That's a, certainly a, a reasonable point. So it's, it, it's the best way I can say it's a bit of a catch 22 because you don't want to uh, push your chips into the middle of the table on young players quite so quickly. But then at the other end of the, the spectrum, as you point out, um, if you have some reliability on that pairing, does it, does it substantially increase your, your team's ability to contend for a cup? There's, there's an argument to be made that the answer to that question is also yes. Yeah, and, and, you know, and let's, let's be honest here. You could bring in the veteran, and he could get hurt in the next game, and then you'd have to go back to that anyways. Yeah. There are cap considerations. I just, for me, you know, and you and I have covered this team for a number of years, to, to watch part of it or 80% of it get to one level, mm-hmm. the other 20% uh, is not at the same level. It, it cancel, There's a bit of inner canceling out here that, that I don't like. Uh, it always seems like that's been a question that we've been contending with too. Like that third pairing has been something we've been talking about for you know years right and it seems like it's groundhog day every year the third pairing and the fourth line and, and yeah quite frankly if the third line had been much more efficient and, and more productive in the past we wouldn't have to worry too much about the fourth line would we that's that's exactly right so no it's it's amazing you, you end up talking about the same things year in year out and sometimes you just you think to yourself like like how is this still a, a topic right like shouldn't the yeah. third, fourth line, and the third deep pair be the easiest part of the team to fix. Well, it it seems like it has been more difficult to fix for the Leafs than it should be. Well, then you get into the, the philosophical differences. Um, so, like I would say, you know, it, you know, and Sandine is a good hockey player. Again, I'm not. It, it's it's the theory. So, if, if you don't want to give up on this guy because he's going to be a top four guy, then you ask yourself, what year is that going to be? And you want to wait for that uh, just because the real agenda is to be the best you can be now. Right. Like that's, that's the situation the Leafs are in is, is win now. It's, I don't want to say cup or bust, but by all intents and purposes, it is cup or bust, right? Like if, if they were to win this year, nobody would be surprised. At least they shouldn't be with the, with the amount of money that they're spending um, on the pieces on the roster up front. So if nobody would be surprised, then isn't the goal to win a cup? And if the goal is to win a cup, well, what is holding you back? Is it inconsistency down your lineup? Um, to an extent, that, that's part of it right now. So I guess find a way to fix that future be damned. Yeah, well, that's, you know, so, you know, what I've always said is you can't do two things. You can't develop players and win, and win a championship at the same time. You're going to do one or the other. Pick one. So in that case, then the answer is is if you can find a trade, I mean, because I'm sure if, if they dangled Rasmus Sandin, there would be teams lining up well, outside okay. Kyle Dubas's door. I'm not saying, we sh- not saying that they should, but... But now that you said that, you've got three, right? 
So do you need three of those guys or do you need two? That's that's the issue is is like where is the fit for Sandine right now? Because he like he projects as a top four, right? But you got Morgan Riley. And I think they're gonna look to try and find a way to to re-sign Morgan Riley when his deal is up. So you should have Riley for the next five to seven years of Absolutely. of of his best of his best hockey before he gets into his sort of like 33 and beyond where you start to take maybe a step back. So you, okay. So you got that spot spoken for, I think in a perfect world, that is the type of role that Rasmus Sandin would really fit into because he hasn't shown me Sandin yet that he can be a guy that can go up against another team's top line all game long and frustrate them into oblivion. Like ideally Jake Muzzin, uh, that is his role right now. Yeah, slight difference in size. Slight difference in size, but that's that's fine. So my point is, even is is Sandine a top four, or is he a top two? Do you what you see? What I'm saying is yeah, is yeah, do is do you even have two spots from, or do you have one? And is that spot spoken for right now by Morgan Riley? And, and I would say when also is is just as important as where you slot him because. You know, I mean, it's, uh, I don't think you get an award for being patient. I'm not saying you, you throw your prospects away, but I am sort of suggesting that you have proper asset management. Uh, you can't carry three guys uh, relatively, well, Letton's a little older, but three young defensemen competing for the same job. What is the point of that? Yeah, there's there's not a a point, really, uh, when, when, you, when you really look at it, because you can only play so many guys at once. And if you've you've committed to the fact that they're going to be your guys. And I think Morgan Riley is certainly a guy is worth committing to. I think he's a, an elite level player. And when he's at his best, like he was um, not last year, but the year before um, partnered with uh, an effective uh, D partner, I, I think he is a top pairing defenseman in the national hockey league. Um, so the, the question is, can you get the most out of a guy like Rasmus Sandin or, or Travis Dermott, down the lineup or do they really need to be in a a different situation in order to get the most out of themselves and i think that's the question that the leafs are ultimately contending with right now as they continue to search for uh consistency on the uh the 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 bottom end of that blue line yeah and i'm not suggesting they make the trade tomorrow whoever it is i just think that uh, over the course and it's hard to to make these moves based on the world we live in now but it just Something, it's a philosophical difference I've had with the team for a number of years. I don't believe in wasting time on things that can be solved a little easier, but, but that's just me. Um, let's talk about the, the Edmonton series. Started Wednesday night with, I have to say, a dud. I mean, there's four goals there. And the only legitimate one was the power play. The, the rest, the, mm-hmm. there's an empty net goal, there's an own goal, and there's a short side goal that was regrettable. I mean, I, how do you have that kind of talent on the ice, and that's what you get? Yeah. Um... I, it's a good question because I, I certainly was expecting it to be more of a wide open affair. Um, there certainly was a um, focus from the part of the Edmonton Oilers coming into that game uh, to dial it in defensively because through two of their first three games, they had given up five goals. You can't win like that. You, you just simply cannot. I don't care if you have McDavid and Dreisaitl on your roster. Uh, you're not going to score six or more every night in order to win consistently. So the only way you do that is you dial it down and you find a way to lock in, and Edmonton did a fantastic job of that. They kept uh, the Leafs' offensive attack uh, completely under control. I agree with what Sheldon Keith said after the game. 
They looked disconnected. Everything was an individual effort. There was no cohesiveness in their group. So if I'm Dave Tippett, I am thrilled with what I saw out of the Oilers on, uh, on uh, Wednesday night, and he was after the game. I know a lot of fans weren't, but what I will say to Oilers fans is, um, well, the reason you haven't done a lot of winning over the last, oh, I don't know, decade or so is because you haven't played a lot like you did last night. Um, so what do you want, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> generally speaking, that's how you win games in the league. It might be boring, but you win. So do you want wins or do you want to lose 6-5 every night? See, I know, but see, what you just said right there, so, and I agree with what you're saying. All you have to do is watch Columbus play to understand that. Right. But, but if that's the way you win, and it is, then why do you want to spend 10, 11, or 12 million bucks on, on an offensive star when that is what's going to happen to him? Well, because I don't think you win either unless you have elite talent. See, that's sort of the, 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 the difficult thing to, um, to find the, the soft spot, so to speak. Columbus um, is a great example of getting the most, the very most out of their roster um, over the last couple of years. But the most out of that roster has been making the playoffs, maybe winning around. Um, same thing with the New York Islanders, right? Uh, make the playoffs, maybe win a round or two. The most out of that roster is not win a Stanley Cup. So that's why you have. Uh, talent as well that's why you pay money to some guys higher in your lineup that can be game breakers and i think that's that's what tampa bay did last year they married the two the year before they were they they were they had been what the leafs have been over the last three or four years team that can you know run you out of the building on some nights when it's there to be taking and it's easy but if you get them into a game where it's not easy and you've got to push the envelope a little bit and make something happen, they weren't interested in that. And that's why they lost to Columbus uh, a couple of playoffs ago. They got swept the year they won the president's trophy and looked like they were just going to roll to the Stanley cup. But last year they still had the talent with the Kucherovs and the points and the Palats uh, and all those guys, but they also committed to a style where it wasn't run and gun hockey for 60 minutes. And they relied on guys like Coleman, um, who, who they brought in, um, and Goudreau, who made an impact, and Anthony Sorelli, who played a real consistent style. Um, and they brought in guys like Zach Bogosian on the back end that, again, we talked about it earlier, they could rely on. They knew what they were going to get out of him for, for 12 or 15 minutes. But then they still had the Palats and the Points and the Kucherovs um, getting it done when the opportunities presented itself. So, so that's why. Um, and I think from the Leafs standpoint, they've got all the talent that they need. Uh, and I like the additions they made in the offseason with the personnel that they brought in to round out uh, the bottom of the roster, the Wayne Simmons, the Joe Thornton's, although he's hurt right now, uh, the Bogosians who got off to a little bit of a, a slow start, but I thought he's been much better the last couple of games. Um, if they can now commit to playing not unlike how they played last night on Wednesday night against uh, the Oilers, but then also find a way to use your offensive ability a little bit more. They, they should be right where they want to be, but if they're just going to go out and run and gun and think you're going to score four five, six goals and possess the puck uh, to a Stanley cup, it's, it's, I hate to tell you, but it's not going to happen. 
Okay, are you ready for this? I don't yes, know guy. Yes, guy. Okay, I just have to alert producer Mike to put in some dramatic music. Okay. In post-production. Thank you, producer Mike. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, wired and wireless earbud listeners. Ooh. Time now for the Leafs Guy edition of Yes Guy, No Guy. Yes Guy, No Guy number one. The Leafs and Oilers sometime in the next eight meetings will have a scoring fest. Sometime. Yeah. <laughs> yes, guy. Um, at, at some point, uh, you know, McDavid is just going to go, um, go legend and put in and put in four uh, or score a goal like he scored against Morgan Riley a year ago at this time when he when he turned him inside out and cut around him and made him look like a guy who you know really hadn't played hockey all that much before in his life. Uh, there's just too much talent. Drysital, uh, Matthews, Tavares. I don't need to list it. We all know. Um, and, and one of those nights, uh, you know, you're going to catch a team that had played the night before or a team that had come in on travel. You just don't feel quite like yourself. It's going to open up. So, uh, yeah, if, if you said one more meeting, I wouldn't be quite so confident. But eight more. Yes, guy. Yes, guy. No guy. Number two, the Leafs will somehow figure out how to explode in a hockey game, how to break through all that close checking neutral zone smother stuff that seems to be their kryptonite well yes guy i they've got too much talent and what here's what i don't mind about the leafs so far this season is that the first two games weren't great but the the next uh the next three they've played a pretty controlled style um which is you know like we talked about earlier what i think they need to find a way to incorporate into their game once they figure that out and they build that part in, then it's about bringing the offense back into the game. And, and that talent is there. That talent is there. And I think what, what the guys talked about after Wednesday night's loss was that they got a little too hyper-focused in playing above their guy and making sure their assignment was on point because they were thinking about it. They were going out thinking, we got to make sure we're on top of McDavid. Got to make sure we're on top of Dreisaitl. Can't let them free. Got to step up on them. Cut down their speed. And that was the that was the approach. But it was because it was not um, it was not something that came naturally. I think that was the focus. Once that becomes second nature, then they're going to again realize when they can take their chances and when they when they can go for it. And I think that offensive talent uh, will come back. So I, I'm not upset if if I'm assessing this Leafs team right now that there's an overemphasis on defense because without it you can't win and until they get that they until they get that zoned in um, maybe the offense isn't quite there but once that that defensive style becomes second nature that they've been talking about all offseason through training camp the offense will come back so yes guy I'm, I'm confident they'll figure that out okay one more because we're at a time crunch now final Yes Guy, No Guy for this segment of Leafs Guy. Yes Guy, No Guy, Zach Hyman somehow stays top six the rest of the season. Oh, no guy, no guy. Um, and that's, yeah, that's not an indictment on Zach whatsoever, but it's more of um, more of a suggestion that they, they really like him in that role on that Kerfoot and McKayev line. And like we talked about earlier, if that line can become one that they can rely on consistently to, to throw it against the other team's top line, that will make a world of difference for what this team is able to do. It frees up a guy like John Tavares 
to to be in offensive situations. And John's had a tremendous start to the year, um, which which is good to see because you need him going at full bore in order for this team to have success. Um, it all depends on how long Joe Thornton is out, um, and, and that that is uh, that is the issue. If he misses. You know, heaven forbid, two two and a half months. If it's a, a broken wrist or a badly broken wrist, I'll throw a bit of a wrench into the plans. But if it's you know a shorter term thing on Thornton, if he only misses two three weeks and you you bide your time with Hyman, I think they'd like to to really lean on that that third line because that's not something they've had over the last couple of years, and it's it's meant that that Tavares and Matthews have had to shoulder the burden of the defensive assignments. I'd like I think they'd like to try to get away with uh, get away from that. Um, and, and, and the way to do that is to have a line that you can rely on. And I think with, with Mikheyev, Kerfoot, and Hyman, they were starting to get that. So I think ideally, they'd, they'd like to have Hyman in that role. Dave, thanks very much for your time. This went probably double what I thought it was going to go. We had a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Always great to be on, Tapman. Thanks, buddy. Okay, take care. So after that conversation with Dave, we've learned a couple of things. The team has made it official. Joe Thornton is out with a rib injury for about a month. I thought on the hit that it wasn't his wrist as originally diagnosed, and it was his rib, so not a doctor, but I was correct. And Austin Matthews will not play in the game against Edmonton on Friday with an upper body soreness. So that means that on the roster, you've got this issue of how many forwards. So they're going to go with 12 in the game against Edmonton, they're going to add Engvall, uh, Barabanov, and Brooks, and six defensemen. Don't know the exact line combinations. They're going to tweak that as they go through and get set for the game, and, of course, during the game itself. So here's the situation again. Austin Matthews will not play Friday night against Edmonton, and Joe Thornton lost for a month with a rib injury. Thanks for stopping by on Episode 4 of Leafs Guy. Join us Tuesday for Episode 5.